PulpMX Network Production. This is the Rocky Mountain ATV MC Kiefer Tested Podcast. The podcast you come to for the straight insight on all things moto-centric. Hard parts, bikes, gear, suspension, motor mods, and more. It's Kiefer Tested. Here he is, Chris Kiefer. What is up, everybody? How's it going? I'm Chris Kiefer. Hopefully you guys out there listening are doing well, staying on the motorcycle, having some fun, staying safe, and guess what? This is the RockyMountainATVMC.com Kiefer Tested Podcast, presented by FXR Racing and Racetech. You guys know what? RockyMountainATVMC.com is the trusted online source for parts, accessories, gear for dirt bikes, side-by-sides, ATVs, and even those street bikes... Low prices, unparalleled customer service, and FREE, three-day shipping, over 75 bucks. So easy to see why you guys should be going over to my website, keyforinktesting.com, clicking on that Rocky Mountain banner right there at the homepage, and then do your shopping, and that gives us a little slice of heaven, which is a little slice of what you guys are purchasing, and it helps us out a lot, shows the guys over there in Utah that you guys are listening to this show, you like it, and you want it to stay here, and uh, just helps us out tremendously. So thank you for everyone that has been doing that. We appreciate it. Of course, fxrracing.com. You go get the new Helium line of gear. Actually, actually, my gear is up right now. Um, it's the white and black Helium Kiefer Inc. Edition, limited edition. So that is very, very cool stuff. So go check that out. But you can pre-order the other Helium 2022 line right now. That'll be coming out late August and get that shipped out to you. But mine is in stock, getting ready to ship. So thank you for those that have bought it, purchased it, and gave me some feedback. Hopefully you guys that do buy it love it like me. And uh, you'll be seeing me wearing this uh, white and black set of gear Coming up in the Honda CRF 250R intro, we got a lot of Yamaha stuff coming up, a lot of 2022 bike testing that I'm going to be wearing the crap out of my gear. But if you go to fxrracing.com, you can input the discount code, that is KKMX35, that'll save you 30%. That is a huge amount off on a set of gear. So uh, I know a lot of you guys have used that code, so thank you guys for purchasing that. And, uh, yeah, go check it out. The gear looks pretty cool. I'm pretty proud of it. Uh, MXGP guys will be wearing it next week, so I'm stoked about that. And even the Chaparral Honda guys, Mumford and Shock, will be hopefully wearing it at Paula um, coming up this year. So, man, that is uh, <laughs> it's a pretty cool feeling for me to see all the guys wearing the gear. So go visit them, fxrracing.com. And, of course, Racetech, Racetech.com. Go get your oil change, your seals, bushings. Maybe get a revalve with some gold valves. And if you don't want suspension done, you know what? They do engine work as well. Lots of privateers out there right now on the outdoor national scene is using Racetech engines. So uh, they do very good work over there. Hit me up, Chris, at KieferInkTesting.com. I'll get you a discount if you're looking for some suspension, some engine services. Racetech does it all. And you guys can go see it all over at Racetech.com. As usual, support all of our advertisers on this show. Keeps us up and moving. Keeps me talking. And, uh, of course, 
Power Motorsports. You want a KTM or a new Yamaha? 2022s are out. Uh, you can hit me up on my email. I'll get you in contact with David, get you the best deal through the Kiefer Inc. testing price waves. That's what we call them over here, price waves. Because I'm telling you, we're going to get the best price over these airwaves for you in Oregon. And I have I just bought another bike. So I uh, had a buddy that do, that uh, just uh, retired. So I thought a great retirement present would be a motorcycle. So we just bought him a, a new bike over there at Power Motorsports. So go check him out. David's a great guy. Eric at Works Connection. Man, they do all kinds of cool trinkets, parts, guards. Uh, levers, perches, works connection, ride engineering. Adrian has makes great clamps. If you're looking for a new car or truck, Chevrolet of Colleen, Texas. Hopefully you guys are listening to that because, man, uh, dude, we bought our Blaze over there, and it was no hassle, great service, and actually great price. So Chevrolet of Colleen, Texas. Pro Taper, 60 helmets, Oregon Old Timers Association. They just had a big national at Washougal a couple weeks ago. 20-minute motos for us old dudes. That's very cool. So go visit them at OregonOldTimers.com. ScreenPrintingDone.com. Dunlop. Get yourself a Dunlop. Plum Creek Funding. And, of course, Blood Lubricants. All of these people are helping us out here. All right. So uh, just some background here. I've been getting a ton of emails about uh, when is the 22 CRF 250 coming out? What about the production process? Blah, blah, blah. So I thought, you know, let's make a show that gives you a little bit of behind the scenes of what the production process is like. So I'll give you some backstory on where I came from and how long I've been doing this production testing thing, how different it is between uh, media testing and production side of things. And then I took some Twitter questions on on some things that you guys wanted to know about on the production process. We're going to answer those. So I thought this would be a cool little insight, little behind the scenes look on what actually goes on when there is, let's just say, a 2023 or 2024 model coming out. What is the process? How does it work? Uh, I get that question asked a lot. And for me, I never really thought it was uh, that interesting for you guys to know about it. But then I started thinking, and I'm like, you know what? I guess for me, as, as techie and nerdy as I am with dirt bikes, I would love to know the back history on some of these vehicles that come out that we drive, right? So I guess that's the same thing for you guys out there in the dirt bike world. Like, I'm purchasing a motorcycle. How does it work? How do you guys know what to change or when to change it or why didn't you change it? So, uh, And I think most of you think I have a lot of input in motorcycles, which I have some, but I think uh, you guys give me more credit than what I actually do. So we're going to cover all of these little trinkets and uh, and little behind-the-scene nuggets, if you want to call that, uh, but looking at towards the production process of how these things actually get to the dealer room floors. And uh, so I thought that would be fun. We can bullshit a little bit about that. So first things first, uh, how did I get started in testing? I think most of you guys know how I did. Uh, but how did I get on board with production-style testing? So I was testing at Dirt Rider Magazine, which is nothing like being a production test rider. So we would go to these shootouts, and I would meet a lot of these these, um, I guess you not engineers, but the guys that are heading up, heading up the or spearheading these tests from these manufacturers. So um, I met Ed Shiler, which was the guy at Yamaha, which was the lead R and D guy over there at Yamaha, and uh, 
He basically uh, liked how I gave feedback. He listened over the last couple of years that, you know, when we did these shootouts and he just came up to me and, they, and asked me, hey, would you be interested in doing some testing? And of course, I immediately jumped and said, yes, that's what I exactly want to do. And I, and I would love to do that with you. And um, I didn't really care about the money so much. I just want to get my foot in the door. So uh, Ed gave me a chance and uh, he had me out for a day of testing and what we call in the testing world suitability testing. So suitability testing is different than durability. And most of you guys know what durability is. Durability is the longevity of a bike or parts, how long it lasts. There's a certain criteria. But suitability testing is weeding through bits and pieces on the motorcycles that will work and not work. That's what suitability testing is. So he had me do some of that. And uh, let me just tell you, I, I take a deep breath because it was nerve-wracking for me to be at Yamaha, not only at Yamaha, but Ed Schuyler was a very intimidating older gentleman. He was uh, very stern. Um, he was rough around the edges, but, man, he uh, he was very smart, knew what he wanted. So when I went out there, I just tried my best, and I hopefully gave him the right feedback. The one thing I did learn at Dirt Rider and over the years of just doing some media testing was never to give false uh, feedback to any of the engineers or the R&D guys just because you don't want to make up something and lead them into a different direction than the bike doesn't need to be going in, right? So if you don't feel anything, for the sake of 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 the bike, just say you don't feel anything. So I've learned that over the years. So I know when I went with Ed and I did these tests, uh, I was like, man, I feel this, this, and this. And then sometimes I would go out and I would not feel anything, like no difference. And I would be like, man, I'm sorry. I just don't feel anything. And uh, he always gave me this look like a like a disappointment. And I was like, man, I am not going to be asked to come back ever again. So uh, at the end of the day, basically he came up to me and sat me down and said, hey, I mean, we appreciate the honesty and some of those changes that we told you we made, we didn't make. So they were testing me to see if they were, uh, if I was given just false bullshit to them. So uh, I guess I passed this test and that moved me on to help develop the new YZ250F. At the time, uh, the YZ250F was brand new and four strokes, I thought, were just archaic my dad rode a four-stroke, and I laughed at his heavy, uh, slow pig, I used to call it. So uh, I was at LACR one day, and we were testing, and uh, we had a YZ125, and we had a YZ250F, and I couldn't believe how good that, that little four-stroke was. It was amazing. So um, I had a, a little bit of help in getting that bike to production, and that spearheaded me to do more contract work with Yamaha, and that... <laughs> that didn't mean Ed wasn't screwing with me, okay? So over the time that I was there, before I was an employee at Yamaha, I was um, I was a contractor, right? So Ed would always throw in these little these little tests to see if uh, I was on I was had my eyes wide open. I guess that's that's what he would call. It. I want to make sure your eyes are open, Chris. So one day I came in the test, and I think we had like a three day test, and this is on the the third day, in the last day. And uh, he pulls me into the box fan and says, hey, I need to talk to you about something. And, and when Ed says that, man, like I said, he's just rough around the edges. He's just like, I'm like, oh, shit, I did something wrong. So uh, he's like, man, I heard you've been talking a little bit uh, to Dirt Rider. And 
saying some things about what we've been testing. So I just need to know what you said so I can defuse the situation. And I was in shock because uh, I knew I didn't say anything. I go, Ed, I swear to God, I did not say anything to anybody. And he kind of raised his voice a little bit and got stern and be like, hey, man, just tell me what is going on. Tell me what you said. We can get past this. Let's let me know what you've been saying. And I go, Ed, I have not been talking. I promise you. I haven't even been around Dirt Rider the last week. I haven't spoken to anybody. I'm telling you right now, I would never do that. I know the, how important confidentiality is to you and the Japanese. I would never do that. And he just kept, for five minutes, he just kept, listen, Chris, this is very important to you, your job, you know, our product that's coming out. Just please tell us what you have said. And I just kept saying, man, I don't know what, what you want me to say. I'm sorry. I, I've never said anything. And, um, and then he looked at me and he smiled. He just looked at me and smiled for about 10 seconds. And I'm like, what the fuck is going on? And uh, he looked at me and goes, all right, get back to work. I'm glad you passed the test. I was just testing you to make sure you didn't say anything. I was just trying to pull something out of you. And I was like, what the fuck, Ed? Like, and ever since that day, for years, he never screwed with me. He never, never did the test. He never fucked with me. He never asked me uh, if I was talking. He never second-guessed my work. Like, he knew that I wasn't going to say anything. So that's how I got involved in the production side of things. And... um after about, uh, I don't know, uh, a few years doing the contract side of things, I decided I wanted to try something different. Ed was on his way out. He was going to retire. And um, Steve Butler, as you guys know, you may know from the Yamaha racing team, was going to take over his position. And I just thought I got offered a, a gig, same thing, over at KTM. And I thought I would take that. So I went over to the KTM side thinking that I was going to uh, get – some type of in-house job. And this was about around 2004. So I started to help them develop their KTM 250 SXF with Ryan Raglan, which you know now Ryan started Stasic, invented all of that. So Ryan's a very smart guy. And I was there for about two years and uh, wasn't going to get a like an in-house position. So I was starting to have a family and I wanted to move it along. So then I went back to Yamaha in-house and uh, started doing accessory testing for GYTR and helping a little bit of the production process, but mostly was accessories. And uh, and I was there for over five years. And uh, after about five years, I got sick of the drive from moving from the high desert down to Cyprus every day, and uh, they laid off a bunch of people, and I was one of those layoffs. So then I went straight to Dirt Rider and became one of the editors over at Dirt Rider and then started doing stuff for Honda. So now you're you're uh, you're all caught up on the past of uh, of the backstory of how I got into production testing. So to this day, I've been doing this now whew, almost 20 years on the production side of things, over 20 years on the media side of things. So been around a little bit. I've seen a lot. Have helped develop a lot of cool motorcycles. I look back on all the four-stroke technology that I went through, and uh, man, there's been a uh, it's part of the YZ250F. I was part of the KTM 250SXF. Uh, I was a part of the the new generation Honda. I was a part of the new generation YZ450. Uh, so a lot of cool things that are out now. I see bits and pieces of things that we tested in the past, which is a very reward, a rewarding feeling for me. How much I love motorcycles, and uh, it's a cool feeling. But it also is frustrating. So some of you guys 
you know, something comes out and it's not that great. And who are they going to blame? Who are these consumers going to blame? They're going to blame the test guys that are out there uh, that they know that have been riding the bike. Well, why is this bike like this? Why does it have this fault? Well, it has to be Kiefer's fault, you know? So uh, that is strictly, I guess some of the blame could be on me. But most of it is, uh, if I could paint you guys a picture, um, how this works. So a test rider's job is to be in this box. And within this box are the changes that are allowed to be made. Now, I am not allowed as a test guy to go outside that box. I may want a certain part or something that I think would be better. Let's just say, for shits and giggles, a triple clamp. Hey, I think this bike would be better with a different offset and maybe a different triple clamp, can we do that? No, we cannot. We don't have the tooling. We didn't do it. So I am in this box of, okay, I got to make this offset and this triple clamp work for this bike, however it is. So if I have to adjust the chassis to this offset, then that's what we need to do. If they're giving me engine hangers versus a triple clamp, I have to work within what I have to make this bike better. So it's not always on the test guy. Sometimes there's only so many parts that we're allowed to try and test, and then we have those parts to work within to make the bike better. That's the tough part for me because I'm usually attached to what I'm testing because I want it to be the best, and I I just love dirt bikes. I love riding a good dirt bike. I don't give a shit what color it is, and uh, if I think it's good, I want to ride it. Uh, how my... Imp- I guess employment works on certain manufacturers is uh, Kiefer Inc. goes in there and does the testing, helps them out, and then once I'm gone, I'm free to do whatever I want. On the media side, I can ride what I want. I could say what I want. So there's no bias towards me, uh, Chris Kiefer versus Kiefer Inc. So uh, it's almost like two separate entities uh, when it comes to testing and then uh, you know OEM testing and media testing. So I've been with Honda doing some production stuff since 2017, on and off, uh, and that has been an eye opener for me. It's been really great. I've, I've been through three different manufacturers. I can see how the differences are between each, and it's it's very cool experience for me. And it's cool that uh, I get to actually help make a bike better from where it was. So. If you guys go back to 2017 up till now, the Honda has improved a lot, which I'm proud of. So that is a, a very rewarding experience for me. And sure, would I like the bike to be better in some areas? Uh, absolutely, but it's not up to me. It's up to the engineers at Honda, the Japanese guys, and of course, American Honda to change all of that. It's not up to me, so to speak. So there's only certain things that test riders, and over the years, there's been Doug Dubok, Rich Taylor, uh, Sleater, took over my position at KTM when I left. Uh, Stapleton now does a lot over there, over at KTM. So it's not always up to the test riders to change the bikes. It's up to um, the Japanese and the engineers to design a part and notice that, hey, we need to change this piece and then get the tooling out. uh, And that costs money, of course, to make a change. So very rare does, uh, does a test rider raise enough hell to uh, make a change in a, in a motorcycle. So I wanted to address that. So not all test riders have the power to change certain things on certain bikes. So that's how it works usually. Um, okay, so let's get down to the process. What is it like to test a prototype motorcycle? So there are a few things that go on here. So when we 
and when I say we, I mean test writers in general, we show up to a test. Obviously, there's an NDA, there's confidentiality that, that I have to agree to, and, and same here when I talk to you guys, I can't indulge too much, but I can give you guys a direction on how it works. So if it is an all-new machine, let's say um, uh, back when Honda had a 2016 and they, they changed it to 2017, that was an all-new machine, a new frame, uh, new ergonomics, new engine, all this stuff from 16 to 17 has changed. So NDA, confidentiality, we have to rent out tracks, private facilities. You can't go to any open days. Um, usually the proto, there's one prototype. And as you guys know, in, in the testing world, prototypes are very, very expensive. It can be well over six figures for that unit. And then usually we will try to have, and, and this is, for any, any manufacturer, they will try to have at least two comparison machines, different colors, different manufacturers, to try to uh, uh, make better than those machines. So for years, the baseline machine was a 2008 Honda CRF450 back in the day. That was the machine to a lot of others, Yamaha, uh, KTM, were trying to emulate to make as good as a 2008 Honda. Then years pass, and then it was uh, 2012 KX450. That frame was unbelievable. Uh, very good, very stable. Bike was uh, fun to ride. So then it was like, okay, we need to get our frame, our chassis feeling like a Kawasaki because that's when in shootouts, uh, consumers are buying that bike a lot. So uh, they'll use that as a baseline. Say, are we as good as, you know, the Cowie or the Honda? So that's usually how it works. So we'll show up, prototype unit, have some baseline bikes, and then usually a year or two of um, previously um, uh, previous models that that manufacturer makes, okay? So we'll have a, a few different bikes, usually two to three test riders to get different opinions, obviously. And then you'll have about three to five days of testing on the prototype unit to figure it out and what they need to change. And then you'll accumulatively come together on where this bike needs to go. And that in that stage, in that prototype process, is where you can change the most things. That is when I, t I show up, and for me it's very exciting because I have a lot of parts to test. There's a lot of things that we can try. There's more swing arms. There's more... Uh, 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 engine hangers. There's different heads to try there's there's a lot of things that we can try to hone in on to get to the next stage so the prototype stage is very fun not only because it's a brand new machine but also because there's a lot of things that i'm allowed to try okay and we're going to get to the allowed part here in a minute but i like to feel a motorcycle and very rare do you get on a prototype unit and you're like oh yeah this is this is way better than the previous model that's that's a rare thing Sometimes it doesn't feel as good in a lot of areas, and, and then there's maybe a couple areas that it does feel good in. So um, there's a lot of things that you guys try to change, or we try to change to make the bike as a whole better than the previous year model. That's the goal, number one, is to make a better motorcycle. Not to generally say, hey, we got to get better than that other competitor's bike. You have to make a bike better than what you're selling previously right so that's number one um so that's the prototype stage and and that's a very exciting stage the bike is very rough looking 
There's not a lot of uh, parts to go around, so you can't crash that thing. So as a test rider, you got to be careful uh, to not wreck a motorcycle that's very expensive. There's a lot riding on you. Um, there's not a lot of parts to go around, and, of course, you have to ride fast enough to be able to feel. So it, it's a slippery slope in that whole area. There's a lot of pressure when I go to these prototype tests. And then what happens is there's a next stage, and maybe a couple months go by, uh, that bike may go back to the manufacturer. They do some things, and then you will see a um, what they call one proto. So zero proto is like the most expensive. This is the bare bones of what we're doing, and then they'll move it on to one proto. They, it, it could go up to three, but the first proto is a little bit better, less rough looking, and uh, we we double check some things that we liked from the last last test, and then we have a little bit less stuff to try. Um, hone in on, and then we do some suspension settings with that, and then you move on to two proto, or it could go to pre-production unit, but most likely there's one proto, two proto, hone in better on the second prototype, a little bit less rough looking than the first one, um, and in those stages, most of the time after zero proto, you will be able to uh, have a baseline, so after zero proto, most of the time the frame, the chassis is picked out. We're going this direction. Number one proto will have engine hangers. Um, we'll maybe take away or add some material to the frame to try to get the balance right. And then two proto, that the, the, the chassis itself is pretty laid out. You have engine hangers that you want. You have uh, the chassis balance that you're looking for. And then in that second stage, you may try some clamps and uh, pivot bolt, uh, the length of where you're putting the, the length from the swing arm pivot all the way back to the rear axle. So those type of things happen in two proto, and, and as well as suspension changes. Suspension companies will come out and they'll try to dial in a setting for that uh, second proto, and then after that, you'll have the pre-production unit. The pre-production unit is basically damn near close to a production unit. All the tooling should have been done by then from the manufacturer and everything is set. And, and in the pre-production stage, there is very little changes. You really don't have a lot of things to change. You're going over suspension, maybe some ECU mapping. Uh, sometimes you will get, a, you'll get thrown a bone and you'll get some engine hangers to try. But most of the time you're just doing... ECU and suspension, everything else is pretty much laid out. So, uh, And the reason why that is is because of timing. The tooling that I get a lot of questions about uh, is the hardest thing to, to make, I guess I would say. It's expensive to start a different tool, to make a different part. So when you see some of these bikes that are, you know, are new in the first year, in the second year, there's not a lot of changes, maybe little minor updates. That's because of the tooling. They have all these tooling um, parts, these pieces to these bikes, right? That they're just not going to up and change right away. Very rarely. KTM is one of the better ones to do that, but um, they're a smaller company in the grand scheme of things, so it's easier for them to do that. When you speak Japanese um, bikes, right, it's a little bit tougher because the companies are a lot larger than the Austrian company. So uh, the tooling is very difficult to change, and it's most expensive, so it doesn't really come into uh, play for us consumers because of the cost. 
And if they did that, then the cost of the motorcycle would drive up, which we don't want, right? Because everyone's complaining how expensive four-strokes are already. So once the pre-production side of things is all done and made up, that's when uh, they can proceed to do more tooling and get the production process moving. And uh, very rarely do I get to test a production unit until it's already out here getting ready for the media or getting ready to be sold into dealers. So uh, that is one of the questions here on my Twitter is how, what's the difference between the pre-production bike and the production bike. So we're, we'll talk a little bit about that soon. But for me, the whole process is very rewarding to see it from start to finish and from production and then going back and looking at the protos prototype it's amazing how how different the bike looks it's pretty cool to see what comes out when you see it on the internet or at the dealers you're like wow that looks pretty cool and it's a pretty amazing from where the bike did come at one point in time and within that process there's little things that uh <laughs> you guys would be amazed on i could be getting my boot or my pant hung up on a shroud they can they can finish that they can redo some of that over in the prototype stage um, pre-production, that's all made up and done. But getting the bike to where it feels comfortable ergonomically, uh, chassis-wise, and even the engine is some of the most tedious little things you'd be amazed at. I remember one time at Yamaha, I would get my, my boot and my pant hung up on the shroud. Uh, the engineers shaved a little bit off of that to try to make it better, to try to uh, get less what we call in the testing world more a seamless feel. Uh, sometimes they want you to feel when you squeeze the bike, how does the bike feel uh, against the boot? Is there any hang-ups? Are you getting uh, any gaps within the plastic? Those kind of things. So those areas are very important to the test guy because those are actually up to you. You have the say to that because you're the one riding the motorcycle. So the engineers aren't necessarily riding these motorcycles. So that is one thing ergonomically and then the seamless feel is basically up to the test guy because there's no one else that can uh, feel that besides you. Most of the time as well, it's just not the American side of testing that determines everything. Within the Japanese, they have their own group back in Japan that test it, that do a lot of things, and then it comes over here. You know, post-COVID, uh, there hasn't been a lot of joint tests and pre-COVID, we had a lot of joint tests where Japanese would come over here, we would go over there. But now since we're, we live in this pandemic world that everything is pretty separate and very tough to, to do um, together. So uh, they will test it over here. Then most likely they, they ship it and they bring it over here for us to test, which costs a lot of money as well. So there's a lot of different little hidden costs and things that you guys don't see that the manufacturer has to pay for. Uh, not just the bike itself. So um, it's, a, it's a very long process, very tedious. Things don't happen that quick within the Japanese culture. Uh, I know that they are one of the smartest people and hardest working people that I've been around. Uh, they think a lot. They listen. They have great input. Uh, they come up with very good ideas. So it's been a pleasure working with these guys, and I learn a lot every time I'm around them. And that even goes for the, the Japanese suspension techs that I've been around. Some of these guys, very smart, very passionate about what they do. They want to make good products. They want to make uh, you guys out there listening to this comfortable. 
They want to make you, uh, when you get on your bike, you have a good time. Like, you don't want to buy your $10,000 motorcycle and go, what the hell just happened? So it's very, uh, very strong, I guess, the culture over there to make people happy. And that's what I think is very cool on, on my side is I look at that and I sit back and I go, wow, it's insane to to see these people, how passionate they are about motorcycles and how, how much they care about their, their product. It's commercial time. Stay tuned to these commercials. They support us, and they got some discount codes to save you guys some money. All-American Chevrolet in Killeen, Texas, is a proud supporter of Keeper Inc. and invites everyone to experience the difference for all of your Chevy sales and service needs. Mention Keeper Inc. and get 50% off your next oil change and a front end alignment at no charge. Remember, whether you're hauling your bikes to the weekend track, trail, or race, or commuting to the job that pays for your moto habit, we have the truck to get you there in style. Visit us online anytime at ChevyColleen.com. That's All-American Chevrolet of Killeen. Chevy, find new roads. ScreenPrintingDone.com T-shirts! Get your sassy T-shirts! Yeah! Good morning. We didn't catch your name last night. ScreenPrintingDone.com I'm not supposed to be within 200 feet of a Chuck E. Cheese. I need that shirt. Where'd you get that shirt? ScreenPrintingDone.com Let's get into this T-shirt. It's a cute top. Where'd you get that shirt? ScreenPrintingDone.com That does sound awesome. I see things no one should ever see. I got a pretty dope sense of humor, bro. ScreenPrintingDone.com <laughs> You an older dude looking to race some races, maybe looking to do some longer motos? OregonOldTimers.com is coming out with a new 2021 schedule. We will have that up on the new shows in January, so check them out. OregonOldTimers.com. Any questions about going to the Old Timers Association, hit me up, Chris, at KieferInkTesting.com, and I'll help you out. See you guys at the races next year. Hey, Kiefer, what oil should I run? What weight should I run? Lots of emails coming in about oil. You know what I choose? Bloodlubricants.com, 1040 Pro Series Synthetic Oil. If you guys haven't run Blood Lubricants Synthetics, you should try it. Email Jeff over there at Blood Lubricants, info at bloodlubricants.com. Mention the code Kiefer, get 25% off a case of oil. I run the 1040 Pro Series in all of my test bikes here. It works great. Keeps the engine cooler as well. Clutch life is enhanced and longer. I go through clutches on that Yamaha YZ450F every 10 hours. Now I can go 15 hours. So great oil. Email Jeff over there. Use the code. Save yourself some money. Email me, Chris, at KieferInkTesting.com. If you have any questions about the oil, I'm happy to help. You got a new bike? Hell, you got an old bike? Go to ride-engineering.com. You can use the code KT25 to get 25% off. If you're looking for anything chassis-related, clamps, bar mounts, axle blocks, whatever it is, they even got calipers, brakes. They do it all over there at ride-engineering.com. So go check them out. Use the code. Save yourself some money. If you have any questions, you guys know the email. Visit them ride-engineering.com hey did you crash or maybe you're just looking for a different handlebar bend go to protaper.com and go look at the evo and fusion line handlebars i run the fusion on the ktm 450 and i run the evo on the yz 450f doesn't matter what you are you like crossbars you don't want a crossbar protaper has it they got grips dude they got some nice soft grips i'm a half waffle soft guy Greatest grips ever. Go check them out. The race cut grips. Come on. 
I am an SX Race Evo and Fusion guy, so go check them out, protaper.com. And if you guys are wondering about handlebar dimensions, go to keyforinktesting.com. There's a complete article on which handlebar dimension is best for your bike. Go search around. It's a fun article. Keyforink testing, it's a great place to do it. You know what else is? Protaper. Protaper.com. Maybe you're at home or in the car and you listen to the Kiefer Tested podcast. Maybe you already own a home. Maybe you're looking to purchase. You know what? Rates are down, so maybe you should try refinancing now. I know Heather and I just did. You can pull cash out, debt consolidation, or maybe you just need some credit score advice. Deal with a professional that has been in the business for 25 years, dude. And this guy rides. He's a good dude. Zach Morris. No, not saved by the bell, Zach Morris. He's licensed in California, Nevada, and Colorado. You can call or text Zach at Plum Creek Funding, 720-212-4685. If you guys have any questions about Zach, hit me up, chris at keyforinktesting.com, or just simply text him yourself, 720-212-4685. Plum Creek Funding, Zach Morris, hit him up. You guys looking to buy a new bike? 2021s are out. Go to Power Motorsports. That's right, they're in Oregon. PowerMotorsports.com. If you guys want a deal on a Yamaha, ooh, or a Kawasaki, ah, or maybe, just maybe, you want a KTM. They got them all there. They have Kiefer Inc. testing special discounts. Email me, Chris, at KieferIncTesting.com, and I will get you in touch with David Sibley. That's right, David Sibley at Power Motorsports. He knows the drill. He knows Kiefer Inc. testing gives the best deals possible and so do power motorsports hit them up powermotorsports.com we are back with the show thanks for listening thanks for holding tight support these guys we appreciate it getting to the twitter questions what do we have here so going through this um do oems use data acquisition alongside your feedback if so is it helpful when you're trying to explain an issue or does the data sometimes show the opposite of what you're feeling for example too soft when actually too stiff so most of the time, we don't use data acquisition on suspension. That is basically a rider feeling. Um, I can't speak for all manufacturers, but the ones that I've been around, um, data acquisition is only GPS is on for ECU testing. We do do that. But as far as suspension goes, that is up to the test riders. Uh, they will come with the base setting. We will test that. We will say, hey, this is the direction we need to go. And what's tough about production testing is usually you'll have two two to three very rarely just have one guy doing the suspension and determining which way to go you will have at least two to three guys different sizes and you can speak for yamaha i mean look at the guys over there steve butler is a smaller guy travis preston's a big guy uh stevie over there is a is a middle ground guy so you have to make all of those guys happy in the production world, in that suspension test, to be able to move forward and go into uh, the dealerships to be sold. That is usually how that works. And they don't really use data acquisition for that because uh, you have three riders, different feelings, and you just try to meet in the middle and make everyone happy. Now, when it comes to ECU tuning, absolutely. Uh, there has been times where I feel like it's a little bit rich, and they don't really see that on the GPS and the data acquisition. So they will listen to the test guy and make sure um, that I need to go out at least at least a couple more times. 
with changes, and then they will look at that and then determine on which way they need to go. So uh, just recently they started doing this more where I can say, here, I'm at this point of the track. I feel this. They'll go back and look at the data acquisition and say, oh, yeah, we see this. We'll change it here. And then, boom, they'll make that change. I'll go back out and feel it, see if it gets better or worse. ECU tuning, I can't, I can't describe to tell you guys that it takes several days. I will be out of track for three days doing nothing but ECU tuning. It's insane. Like, at first when I started doing it, I wasn't that great. I didn't feel a lot. But now that I've been doing it for a long time, I feel the minute changes that these engineers make within the ECU um, because you want to have a rideable machine but yet fast and exciting. So, for example, the Honda has three different modes, right? So we have to make an ECU tune for map one, map two, which is a softer, easier map, and then map three, which is aggressive. So... In, in the scheme of test riders, I try to think, okay, map one is just an all-around good map. It's strong. It's clean. And um, that is, that'll be our base map. And then you work off of that map to make a, a more rideable, easier, manageable machine, which will be map two for some guys that are getting tired or, hey, I need just, it's just too much bike. I want something mellower. And then you try to make map three. They'll be like, hey, I'm a heavier guy. I need more aggressive uh, style of, of hit. I ride sand. That's the map three look that I have to try to figure out when I'm doing these ECU tunes. And it's not easy, so that's why it takes so damn long. So data acquisition is used on certain things, but not so much in the suspension side of things. That is up to the test riders that are doing the test. And most of the time, uh, the test will end with all three riders being happy with what they got. And What's cool to, for you guys maybe that don't know, they will not set the sag for all three guys. They will find a base guy. So if there's the middle ground guy that weighs uh, 170, there's a guy that weighs 200, and then there's a guy that weighs 150, they'll set the, the sag for the guy at 170 and then work around that. So if you're at 105 with the 170 guy, the 200-pound the guy might be at one, 108, 109. The lighter guy might be at 103. Can you get along with this bike by simply just doing clickers and with what the sag they, that they got. Now, at the end of the day, when we're done and we think we have the right setting, you're like, okay, everyone's happy. We're pretty much done. Let's set the sag for each one of these guys. Did the bike change? Has the bike changed? Nope, it's still good. Or one guy be like, yeah, man, we raised it back up for me, and now the fork's a little bit uh, divey and harsh. Okay, can we click that out? Yep, we got that. That feels better. That's acceptable. And then move on and then push that in production. So that's how the suspension side works. Um, there's a big thing in the testing world called track toughness. You guys hear me talk about that. That is what that is all about. Can you make three different styles of riders, three different weights happy within that bike? And that is track toughness. Some bikes are better at that than others. Um, but for sure, that's most of how that goes with the production testing process. You've got to make a lot of different people happy, right, because you're selling it to the masses. So manufacturers will have more than one test guy do this. So to answer your questions, not a lot of data acquisition on suspension, but when it comes to ECU, yes. Uh, another one goes, how often does a part end up feeling working different in production compared to when you tested it in pre-production? 
due to a different manufacturing process or different material for mass production versus testing samples? This is a great question. It happens more time than you guys think it would. Sometimes the the pre-production, it's it's one-off made things. It'll feel better than uh, the production, mass production uh, pieces. And most of that is frame and suspension. So, for example, uh, I will get on a pre-production motorcycle. The frame isn't, the rigidity is a little bit less than it is in the mass production side of things because of the tooling and how, simply how many they make. Now, I don't know the ins and outs of that, but that's what I feel most of the time. So when we try to set up a chassis uh, for production, I tend to lean a little bit softer on the chassis side because I know once the production side hits and they make mass tooling for all of these ch- these frames, it'll be a little bit stiffer feeling. Um, that's kind of what I've grown to to feel over the years. So... I have that in the back of my mind when I test is like, okay, if it feels ri- slightly rigid now, uh, it's only going to be worse when the production bike comes out. So I try to soften it a little bit and have better bump absorption and still keep a good lean angle character. So that is important. But yes, you're right. There is differences within the chassis. And then there's another portion I think is interesting with suspension is you'll have um, a a set of suspension that you all agree on, right? So you have these three guys. You say, okay, the suspension is good. We're going to move on with that. The next process to that before you get to leave and just you know, say, yep, that's good, and sign off on it is there's a, there's a testing process called copy. So you usually have one to two sets of suspension that are exactly the same, the exact, the exact setting, everything, and they're called copy sets. And then you have to ride those copy sets after you're done with your your setting just to make sure they feel the same. Does the the master set of suspension feel the same as these copies? So sometimes in, within that realm, sometimes the copy will not feel the exact same. Now, I never really asked what's the difference between the master and the copies versus I think just, just production pieces that they're using. Maybe they're using different oil or different shims, but whatever the reason is that the stack or the valving is the same, um, but they're not using, you know, pre-production pieces on the suspension. So that is another thing that is pretty cool for me is like, hey, uh, well, yeah, I do feel like it's a little bit of a change. So you can most likely always guarantee that the copy sets of suspension will be a little bit stiffer than what you've been riding, right? So the fork, the shock has been broken in. You've been riding it for several days. You know, even though the, the suspension techs are changing the oil, changing shim stacks back and forth for every test. Uh, regardless, um, when you have a copy, it's a new set of suspension with new fluid. Um, it's going to be a little bit stiffer, but you have to understand, like, okay, is it still comfortable? Will it break in? Um, I try to ride copy more than 10 minutes just to see if it does break in a little bit and feel the same as the master. So, Yes, more often than not, we do feel a, a discrepancy between production and pre-production, and that even goes for a prototype to pre-production. There's a difference in that field too. So uh, it just gradually gets a little bit different feeling. It shouldn't have that much variance, but it sometimes does. But you have to expect that when you uh, 
when you're moving on to the production process. Um, like I said, chassis almost always just goes up in rigidity feeling when you go to the production and then as well as suspension. So uh, it's just something that as a test rider, you have to try to either A, tune out, and uh, they will give us some wiggle room on copy. Like if you do feel like it's a little bit stiff, we can back out the clicker one or two clicks, and then that will be the production setting. Um, if you notice copy is a little bit stiff, I want to take a little bit of low speed out on the fork, so you go out one, and okay, that's a little bit more comfortable. Then that clicker setting will be the new production uh, factory OEM setting. So the the number of clicks that you see within your owner's manual that is the OEM setting. That is what we try to work on before it leaves. So many different aspects of that, but yes, for sure, different feelings between uh, different steps in the production and pre-production process. Uh, explain influence of track conditions and schedule versus performance. So I guess uh, for me, uh, track conditions, and you guys know, most, uh, I'm trying to think, most of manufacturers do a lot of their off-road slash motocross testing here on the West Coast. Uh, as you guys know, the conditions aren't East Coast conditions. It's a little bit different, so very hard to try to make a production motorcycle work in all aspects, even though we normally try hard to go to different style tracks, different style preps. Uh, most of the time, the tracks are unprepped, rough, um, here on the West Coast at least. They're rough and choppy, and we want to have a bike that works good in that condition. And usually, when you go back east and ride the bikes later on, uh, they work fairly well. Things that change, that influence change for uh, production process, would obviously be tacky dirt. We don't get a lot of that here, so... Uh, Grabby dirt, tacky dirt forces the suspension to do different things. It pull down on the front a little bit more, so you're going to want a little bit more hold up. But uh, you try to mimic some of those those track conditions out here on the West Coast, and then uh, hopefully that will work um, just like it is intended to on the East Coast. And you guys got to remember, too, uh, in the Japanese manufacturers, they test all their stuff at their own tracks in Japan. Japan is lots of rain, hard packed. There's not a lot of sand tracks in Japan, right? So um, some of those settings are a little bit softer in Japan. Uh, some manufacturers I know have different settings as European settings as far as ECU and suspension. That has happened before uh, where the bikes they sell in Europe will have different settings suspension-wise because to accommodate their tracks versus here in America – Globally, they'll have a setting most of the time. I know sometimes uh, lately they'll have a, a global setting, which is just keeps costs down, and uh, that setting will go um, be involved in European machines as well as American machines. So I know in the older older times, older days, <laughs> uh, there was two different styles of suspension uh, between Europe and then uh, North America. So. I haven't kept up on that lately. I know they went away with that for a while, but I know some manufacturers still do that. Which ones, I do not know for a fact, but for sure there is an influence of track conditions, and it's better to have 
as, as far as a manufacturer, it's nice to have an East Coast base and then a West Coast base to try both settings to make sure they work. And I think we'll see that more as time goes on. A lot of these uh, manufacturers are moving their their teams back east, one for cost because California is expensive, but I think also, too, it's important to feel the motorcycles in different conditions and uh, different aspects. Um, so, yeah, for sure, uh, track conditions come into play a lot. How many sacrifices are typically made in the durability testing process? I'm completely ignorant to the order of testing, uh, but I assume durability, durability is toward the end. Are there things that test riders absolutely love but end up getting axed during that phase? So, no. During the durability phase, there will be nothing axed unless it fails, correct? Sometimes if it does fail, uh, they will come back and have us retest a part uh, that will hopefully uh, be as good as the part that broke. But if that's the case, then it might not be quite as good, but yet they go for longevity. I can tell you what, Honda and Yamaha are very, very picky about durability. They're some of the most durable bikes out there, and that is a very important process to their sales. Um, let's face it, Yamaha and Honda have been a staple in the durability department for years. Some years have been worse than others. I have get many emails on both sides that Yamaha has a problem here, Honda has a problem here, but nonetheless, the quality assurance and and the things that the Yamaha and Honda brand do to make sure their bikes are durable is very, very tedious. Uh, so, yes, I've been a, pro a part of ECU that uh, settings that I thought were really good, but the Japanese say very danger. That's what they use. Like, ah, danger. There's lots of danger in this ECU. So we will not be able to use that ECU setting. And when we go to a setting that is not quite as good because it helps the life of the bike. So I've been a part of that. I've also been a part of, um, let's say, a Proto 1 test that the bike was amazing, very good. And then it went to the pre-production process, and the engine wasn't quite as good, and it wasn't uh, as good as I remember in the Proto 1 process. So maybe it didn't have the bottom end that I wanted um, or that I felt on Proto 1, and then now the pre-production bike is not quite as good. So like, uh the head's different because we had some durability problems, and we only can change cam. So now we got to work with the cam, uh, but the head has to stay this way because it has to pa pass a certain criteria, and it, and it varies from manufacturer to manufacturer. I know when I was at Yamaha, it was 1,500 kilometers when we needed to test something, like a GYTR head uh, with piston and cams. We would go out and ride for two weeks to get 1,500K put on it, and all we would do is uh, drain the oil each day, and that's it. Change air filter, drain the oil, and just ride the shit out of it. So it had to pass 1,500K, and if it didn't, we would go back, work on it, and whatever the engineers would change, I'd have to go do durability again. So I know Yamaha and Honda have uh, very strict criterias and what they need to do to make their bike last, but most of the time... Uh, by the time it gets to the durability side of things, at least on, on our side here, it is pretty much wrapped up and they know it's already going to pass or should pass. Very rarely will you have a break in durability. And if it is, it, it's something that was unexpected. Now, I will say that durability doesn't happen much here anymore. Um, 
not for a while. Like durability used to happen a lot. And there is a big Honda center out in the middle of the desert that they used to do a durability back in the early 2000s. I know I was a part of durability back in the early 2000s here at Yamaha, but I think most of the durability now, um, and I'm speaking for the Japanese side of things, is done in Japan. They do durability there, and we do mostly suitability stuff here. Very rarely do we do durability on the motorcycle here in America. You won't see guys out pounding laps in the middle of an open day on, at a track you know, on a new YZ250 or whatever. You just won't see that. That is all done privately in uh, in Japan. And in, it's cool in Japan. I've been there a couple times to do tests, and there's very, very strict rules within the tracks. There's there's spotters all around these tracks that watch you ride all day. There's certain ways you have to get on and off the track. It's very, very safety conscious over there in Japan. Safety is a huge part of this whole thing. Uh, because they don't want accidents, lawsuits, people getting hurt. Um, so safety is uh, most of the reasons why I think they do it back in Japan because they want it done a certain way, and they can control it better there in Japan. So um, that is basically why most of the durability nowadays is back there. And I would assume that's the same way for KTM. I think most of that is back in Europe. They do all that stuff back there. Um, if there is a manufacturer that does it, the you know, the, the most sneaky or the best, I think KTM does do it that way because I think KTM is coming out with a new bike in 22.5, and they've been riding that here for a long time. So that's been under the radar. Uh, you wouldn't even know that bike was out there. So um, I think if there is a manufacturer uh, that's still doing it here, it would be KTM. Uh, is evolving riding technique changing bikes or new bikes are changing riding technique? Uh, that's a pretty good question. I don't think the riding techniques are changing the bikes. I don't think the manufacturer is looking at um, the techniques of at least the professionals. Uh, they're looking for uh, what manufacturer are looking for is obviously cost effective. It has to be has to make sense cost wise. The bike has to perform to a certain standard, and then it has to be comfortable, and then it has to be durable. Those are the three things that are a staple in making a bike. I don't think like um, because James Stewart's scrubbing or someone's uh, leaning over the front more that they're changing the bike. They're changing it for the average consumer. Now, I will say they will look at consumer sales and what type of rider are buying these bikes, and as they're very, very heavy on media shootouts and tests. That's pretty cool that I think on the media side of things, uh, there's a lot of weight behind the media shootouts. I don't think that some of these media people – understand how much they look at, these manufacturers look at what they're doing and who wins and who loses and what things are good and bad. Uh, I know when I did shootouts, I took it to heart. Like, this is very important to these uh, manufacturers. They put their their blood, sweat, and tears in this product, and if it gets fifth, they're very, very upset. So uh, I will say the bias of the motorcycles have changed over the years. I know that Honda was very front-end bias, very front-wheel-turning bias, and that has lessened over the years it's not so front wheel heavy it's trying to go more neutral now trying to get more stability um, but yet still keeping that that great cornering ability so um, it does change over time but I don't think at least professional riders are influencing the change of these bikes now definitely riders are changing their techniques because of these motorcycles absolutely there are uh, riders out there that 
totally ride the bike different because the bikes have gotten better. Uh, you will notice more guys aren't as revving as much. There's a few guys that rev the bike still, but these new four-strokes like to be uh, short-shifted and lugged. So I think the bike itself, the four-stroke technology, is getting better and then forcing these riders to ride a different way, at least on the professional level. Um, there's another one. With Yamaha dominating because of the reverse engine, why don't these other manufacturers start developing a reverse engine? So it's funny because there was a lot of shade thrown at Yamaha back in the day when James was riding that this, it's the engine's fault. It, we need to turn it the other side. You know, other side. The bike's a piece of shit. It spits them off. It's unpredictable. But if you look at the consumer side of things, and, and I'm pretty much like that, Yamaha is one of the best, most stable machines there are out there right now. Uh, sure, when these professional riders push these bikes, these chassis, it acts totally different. But that doesn't necessarily mean that is what we, the normal guys out there, are going to feel. So I don't think any other manufacturer has looked at this uh, reverse engine and how the downdraft is on uh, the intake is on the Yamaha. I think what Yamaha did influence is the downdraft way of things. I think the straighter shot into uh, the cylinder um, I think that has uh, influenced other manufacturers to get more bottom end, to get more horsepower on these 250Fs. So um, the intake area, I think, has been looked at and how straight shot that Yamaha is. Man, there's a lot of air getting to the motor real quick. So uh, for me, I think that is one of the things that other manufacturers noticed because let's face it, the YZ250F has been a leader in the horsepower realm of things for a while. Uh, now that you see KTM doing well, you see more of uh, manufacturers leaning towards a longer pulling power lately, like the KTM. So it, it comes in waves. Like there'll be a bike that will be very good for a few years, and then other manufacturers will try to adopt that one area to make their bike better. But then you'll see a different uh, bike come out that'll be good in one area, and then they'll adopt that. So it comes in waves. It's not necessarily like, hey, we need to to turn our engine around because they are. Um, very rarely will you ever see that. Uh, setting the correct wheelbase with the new chain. I always wonder about this. So there is a, a number that is, uh, I guess, the range that you want to be in from swing arm pivot bolt back to the rear axle. Um, every bike is different. There's a lot of that information in your owner's manual. I tell you guys all the time, the owner's manual is very, very good. KTM, Honda, Yamaha owner's manual are very good, and they will tell you the length of where your chain needs to be in um, correlation to your chain adjuster. So for me, as an average guy, I try to at least use my chain adjuster back as far as I can go without, uh, you know, you got to compensate some for a chain stretching when it's new, right? So I try to set my adjusters in the middle. If you look at a Yamaha YZ450F, those chain adjusters are back very far stock. So you want to, when you get a new chain, you're going to go up a little bit further than that. There is a number out there, and I don't have those numbers on me right now, but there is a certain millimeter uh, <laughs> number out there that makes that bike work the best. And that number is usually in your owner's manual. So you can check that out. You can look and see where those numbers are at, those specs. And, and I'm going to tell you guys this. The, the owner's manual is like a Bible for your bike. It is all written in there because it has happened previously 
in the prototype pre-production process. All of those those numbers and those facts that are in your manual is there because that's what makes your bike the happiest. So always make sure that you follow the manual as well as you can. Um, is there any testing difference between moto models and off-road models? Yeah, absolutely. I do two separate tests. Uh, sometimes on the moto side, they'll uh, you'll have the same basic engine, right? But you'll use different ECU maps that we'll try to uh, achieve during off-road testing to make it smoother, less less uh, on-off feeling, um, give the rider more comfort for a longer duration. I guess that's what off-road is all about, right? Riding for a longer amounts of time. Um, suspension is also different because um, uh, because it's, it's a softer setting. You got to have a softer setting for off-road. You don't need to uh, have the stiffer holdup that you have in a motocross track because you're riding with jumps, deep dirt. So, yeah, so there is a lot of differences between off-road models and moto models. Some manufacturers do a better job uh, than others, but for sure, most of the time, it's strictly suspension and ECU. Those are the two biggest things. Uh, who gets the final say on what the production version will be? That is the project leader of each machine. There is a pro- project leader that will come out to these tests that is in charge of uh, a certain, um, I guess there's a project leader overall for the, for the bike, for the bike. And then there's head guys for areas of the machine. There's an there's a ECU guy, there's suspension guy, and there's engine guys, but there is an overall project leader. And basically... Uh, he gets the final say on what goes and what stays. Sometimes I've been a part of uh, something that has left <laughs> the test and I've been very happy with, and then project leader will change it, and then I've been less happy with what they did. But that's just part of the deal. That's like how I let off uh, with the show here. It's like I'm in a box, and you only could do so much, right? And it's up to the project leader and the manufacturer to decide which way they're going to go. And... uh so yeah, that pretty much sums up how testing works on the production side of things. Now, just like I said on the beginning of the show, production versus media testing. I think media testing is a little bit more fluff. Production testing is blind testing. And what is blind testing? When they put something on the bike in the production testing process, I don't necessarily know what that is. I know what I'm going out to test. Like, they'll go, okay, hey, we made a change in the ECU. I don't know which way they went. Oh, hey, we made the change in the cam. I don't know which way they went with the cam or, hey, I made a change on the suspension. I don't know which way they went on the suspension. In the media side, when these guys test, like, hey, man, I made it softer. Go feel it. So there's a pre-notion already on these test guys that go out there. And that's the true difference between media testers and actual production test riders. I come from a production test background. I would rather not know what you changed. I like that. I feed off of that. I want to know. I want to feel the bike. I don't want to know what you changed. I don't want to have a pre-notion in my head of what you did and try to influence my decision. I don't want to be influenced. I want to give you strictly on what I feel out there on the track. To me, that's the truth. You need dynos. You need paperwork. You need engineers to lead you in a direction. But ultimately, what does it feel like on the track? Just because a dyno, and I've preached this in other pockets, because a dyno says this curve is better, that doesn't mean it's better for the rider on the track. I have seen dyno numbers on mufflers that I've worked with when I was at Yamaha that were horrible, and that was the best one on the track because it just fed the power the correct way and gave more rear wheel connection 
because of the engine character that it's built around. So uh, for me, very rarely do these media test riders have a production-based background, and there has been guys that, that have, but uh, it's rare nowadays. You don't see that much. You have more younger kids that want to get in the industry and got a magazine job, and they raced and they rode, and then now they're, they're just test riders. Well, to me, they're not true test riders because true test riders come from, from a production background that do blind testing and know nothing about what the engineers are changing. To me, that's real testing. And uh, that's the big difference between the media side and the production side. So take it for what it's worth, but uh, just know some of these media outlets don't have the background as some of these other guys do, and uh, it's, it's, uh, it's a lot of fluff out there. So uh, be careful of what you read. Um, that sums it up, man. That's basically what I can give you without getting too much more involved and getting me in trouble. <laughs> so uh, that's the backstory on production testing, what goes on, uh, why certain things change and uh, why certain things don't change. And just to, to feed off that a little bit before I wrap it up, the, some of these, uh, you guys always want, how come they don't change? Like they had this, they knew this was a problem. It's tooling. It's It comes from tooling, the cost of changing the tool. It costs a lot of money to uh, change the tooling. So uh, in order to keep the cost down, you guys happy, the tooling only could change uh, so much. And uh, there's a certain amount of of product, a certain amount of product they need to sell before they change the tooling. So that's probably way over my head, and I don't know enough about that to give you the exact details. And I I would love I want to have a guy on here one time. Uh, he's retiring from a manufacturer that he's been a part of for th- over 30 years. So I want to get to the bottom of all of this too as well. I want to know more about it. I know a little bit about it, but. I don't know how much I can say or what I can and can't say, so I don't want to blow myself out here on this podcast, but I'm going to get him on the show after he's retired, and we're going to talk about the process, the tooling process, the cost, and uh, how the evolution of this four-stroke has raised the prices and and why it has. So we're going to get him on here fairly soon. He's retiring this year, so that'll be an interesting project, uh, project for me to do and get that information out there to you. Well, uh, we're an hour in. That was pretty fun for me. I like talking about the production process of testing. I love dirt bikes. So, uh, as always, Chris at KeeferInkTesting.com. That is the email if you guys want to know anything further. And, as always, please support these advertisers that are on this show. It helps us out a lot and keeps us up and moving. And, hopefully, you guys learned something in today's show. It's a pleasure for me to do these. And, if you guys want to want me to elaborate more on certain aspects of dirt bikes... Email me, ask me. Uh, maybe I can, maybe I can't. Just depends on confidentiality. I know there's a there's a sticky sticky widget between uh, telling you guys what's going on and, and keeping confidentiality. So I try to honor that as much as I can, but I also try to give you as much information out there to to arm you with more knowledge. So it's it's very exciting, very fun to learn. So uh, hopefully you guys enjoy it. We'll be back next week. Uh, we're going up north. We got a big intro to go do. So hopefully you guys are going to enjoy that. That's been one of the most talked about bikes uh, that is coming out right now. I've been getting a ton of email about it. I can't really talk about it. You guys know what I'm talking about. So next week, we will be up in the Pacific Northwest testing a new bike, and we'll be back with a new show. Thanks for listening.